0: What's up? It's episode 98, Pain Points of Wealth, and it's officially Apocalypse Now. The Fed will not relent with interest rates. They're going to be more hawkish than ever. It seems like bad news comes on the installment plan. Putin looking to double down on his war in Ukraine. Is this the end? Is everything going to fall off a cliff? We're going to give you our view today. We're going to tell you exactly what we think, what you should be doing right now with your money to make sure that you're in the best position, giving so much uncertainty And on the tipping point today, you've been asking a lot of question, podcast listeners. Thank you. We're gonna answer all your questions today on this podcast. You can't miss episode 98. Check it out. Hit the music.
1: Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between.
2: Hey guys, you know what? I want to remind everybody, the stock market isn't a video game, even though it looks like that on my screen today. You know, these pieces of paper, these stock certificates that you don't actually hold, they're held for you in your account, actually are represented by real assets. They're backed by real things like Buildings, manufacturing plants, private jets. And, you know, right now we have the Dow down big. And if it continues to go down at this pace, for example, we're down like 770 points on Friday at this point. It's only going only to take 38 days. Think about that. On 38 days, the Dow will be at zero, which means every asset in the country can be had for nothing. So, you know, I'm up in Manhattan today recording this. And, and guys, I'm going for Madison Square Garden. What would you like to own?
0: Well, Bob, you know, I'd like to have a fleet of planes. We've always talked about that for paying capital management. And that's a great point. I think people forget, unlike some of these digital assets out there, which aren't real, is companies are backed by physical assets that pay real cash flow. And that cash flow hasn't stopped just because right now there we may or may not go into recession, depending on who you speak with. But it is kind of crazy right now, and you kind of forget that when you have volatility at this extreme.
3: Well, you know what? I got a comment, Rye. You know, you said that some of these tech assets aren't backed by anything. But I want to point out that Bobcoin is backed by the full faith and credit of dad's hair. So I just wanted to make sure that point was known. But no, you're absolutely right. And you know, I was talking to a client of mine this week. He owns a really successful business here in the Philadelphia area. And he was saying that you know, if we keep going the way we're going, to dad's point, you know, the market will be at zero. And he said, I want to get out of the market. I said, well, look, you own a great business. You're very successful. I said, have you ever had a bad year? And he said, yeah, of course. I said, well, how's your year going this year? He said, just okay. I said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we shut the doors? Why don't we fire everybody? and then start over again next year. He said, I think that's a bad idea. I said, well, then I think it's a bad idea for you to get out of the markets. Well,
2: that's the other thing. It's like if somebody walks in the door and offers you a low ball bid on your business, do you sell it? Of course you don't, right? You know what it's worth. You know the company has intrinsic value, whether the economic cycle is up or down. But most companies are having record years. Most stocks that are represented by companies are having record years. But it's the future that that individuals are looking at. Now, there's two things, guys, that I can guarantee that I've heard my whole life. First is from each political party, every election is the most important election of your lifetime, right? I hear that every election cycle. The second thing I hear is the news is so bad, it's never been worse. I hear that every year.
0: Yeah, and we know that's just not true, right? I mean, (laughs) there's been a lot. I mean, geez, you grew up in the 60s, Dad. I mean, you had Vietnam, you had Watergate, you had the 70s, which were way worse than today. But, you know, the other two things I say you can never discount.
2: Uh, Hold on a second, right? Hold on a second. Forget about the 60s and the 70s. How about two years ago, governments around the world shut down the global economy for a virus, right? You think about things being bad. Why didn't the world end? I mean, it was supposed to be the end of the world as we know it. You know, the Dow was at 18,000. Even with this bear market we're in right now, we're just below 30,000. I mean, think about that, guys. So it's always the market making the news, not the news making the market.
0: Well, it's a great point. And I think it all comes back to two things that get discounted way too much when it comes to being an investor. Number one, it's American business, right? Even this year, as we've seen that, you've seen supply chains have been a mess. Inflation has been a mess. Companies have been able to navigate it relatively well, right? We've seen more surprises in the positive, not the negative when it comes to things like earnings. And I think about our own business, right? We're always resourceful. We're always thinking about ways, no matter what they throw at you, what the government throws at you regulation-wise, Whatever gets thrown at you economically, you're always figuring out a way. Now extrapolate that out to like every other American. Number two, you can't discount the American's ability to spend. (laughs) I don't care what anybody says. If you look at retail sales last month, even with 8% inflation, retail sales were up. People were still spending and not just on necessities. They were going to restaurants. They were buying clothes. So the bottom line is the death of the consumer is always greatly, greatly exaggerated.
2: Well, here's the thing, guys. I thank God every day. That Jerome Powell is the chairman of the Federal Reserve, because without him, we wouldn't have a successful podcast. I mean, you go back a year ago, what were we talking about? Well, there's inflation. You can believe Jerome Powell that it's transitory and it doesn't exist, or you could believe your lying eyes. Now, what are we saying? Inflation's coming down right? You can believe Jerome Powell that it's embedded, that it's not going to go down for years. But meanwhile, oil's now priced below where it was before Russia invaded Ukraine when the world believed there was going to be a shortage of oil. So, you know, I think Jerome Powell, I don't know, do we have to start paying him or compensating him for content?
0: Well, I wish you'd be a little more quiet, Bob, because every time he speaks, it seems like the market likes to plummet. So I don't know. I'm not enamored with Jay Powell. But to your point, he is creating a lot of opportunity right now. You know, as a longer term investor, I know we've been beating this dead horse every week and prices now are back to where they were before the summer began, is this is a buying opportunity that you've got to take advantage of. If you're sitting in cash right now, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, like, I'm just going to wait and see what happens, you're going to miss the boat. Because at some point, this is going to turn on a dime. Because at the end of the day, the reality of it is Americans have money in their pocket to the tune of like $18 trillion. That's 30% more than before the pandemic. And, you know, if you look at employment, it's one of the strongest employment markets we've ever seen. You know, this isn't an engine for disaster, and right now the world's priced towards a disaster. That odds are probably not going to happen.
2: Hey guys, remember back in 2007 we had the housing bubble. We went into the Great Recession. We went into a true crash. Right, the market went down 50, 60 percent, and at the time U.S. household net worth was around 70 trillion. You know, we just hit 150 trillion dollars in U.S. household net worth. In other words. U.S. households have never been wealthier. But remember, things are really bad right now.
3: Yeah, Dad, things are horrible. And you know, I'm hearing that from my clients. As a matter of fact, I talked to a client of mine yesterday. And what I've been doing is I've been trying to encourage my clients to take all their interest and dividends and throw it out their car window. Because every single one of them been like, you know, Chris, if we would have gotten out in January, we wouldn't be in this situation. So what I do is I go back. I calculate how much they would have missed out on. And I tell them to go to the bank, get in their fancy car, and throw it out the window. And guess what? Nobody's taken me up on this offer yet. Can you believe that?
2: Well, you know, what I do believe is that, you know, we've had some great meetings this week. And you guys met with a couple of great clients and I had, too. We've done our annual reviews. So the folks that we, you know, did their annual reviews this past week in September, you know, said the same thing. So are my dividends and interest secure? Yes. Will they come into my checking account every month? Yes. I can continue to stay retired and enjoy my life. Yeah. And we've been through this before, right, guys? Yep. Okay. Have a nice day. uh, I'll see you next year.
3: You know what, Dad? I sat with somebody yesterday and uh, they were complaining about, like, you know, I really think I want to go back to work now. You know, the portfolio is not doing great and I'm feeling kind of bored. So I said, look, how about this? How about you sit in my chair and I sit in your chair and you transfer all your assets into my name? And they didn't go for that either. So I don't know.
2: Well, one thing that is disconcerting and that's really been tough this year, let's, you know, all kidding aside, we've had a market that's in a correction mode, right? We're back down to the June lows. So we have a true bear market. When it comes to equity assets, if you're again, if you're invested in disruptive technology or cryptocurrency, you're in the crash of your lifetime. Thank goodness we don't invest in things like that. But it's been hard, difficult because interest rates have risen and bond values have gone down. Now, the beauty of our bond portfolios, it has duration, right? We have a set period where we know we'll get all our money back with interest, but it doesn't make it any feel any better when your statement goes down every month and your safe assets, as you know, we describe bonds are also going down. But this too shall pass, because what happens is as those bonds are reinvested, as certain maturities come due, as we move money around in the portfolio, we're actually compounding our bond money at a higher interest rate. And ultimately, in the longer term, which is longer than the shorter term, of course, we end up making more money and having more income. So so there is a silver lining. The good does come out of this bad, but I'll tell you guys, you know all my career, it's always it just kills me. It kill you know, I have you know scars in my stomach lining because the market, when it goes down, it's like it just falls down an elevator shaft. And as it goes up, it's like one painful step up the stairs at a time. And that's just the hardest thing to stomach is that the the declines are so swift. And again, that they also end swiftly. And I think we're closer to the end of the beginning. And that's why I need everybody to to stay strong, stay patient because bear markets are about moving money from the impatient to the hands of the patient. And we want you to be patient because you will be rewarded.
0: Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 98, Pain Points of Wealth. Our podcast is crushing it. Thank you for your support. If you like our podcast, love it. It's on iTunes. Give us that five-star ratings, please. On Spotify, you can subscribe. If this is on YouTube right now, you can subscribe to our channel, like this specific podcast, and click that notification bell so you can be updated every week of all new podcasts. The more support you give us, the more these podcasts we can do. Thank you for your support. Hope you're enjoying episode 98, Pain Points of Wealth. All right. It's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And we have a very special guest with us today. We have my colleague, Bob's colleague, Chris's colleague, superstar, certified financial planner at Pain Capital Management, contributor to CNBC. She's on every week, Miss Courtney Dominguez-Garcia. Courtney, great to have you on the show today. Thanks for
4: having me. It's my pleasure.
2: I got a question, guys. How do you hedge C-Money against Bobcoin? <laughs> it's
0: a long way to go. So for those who are just listening for the first time, Courtney's nickname at Payne Capital Management is C-Money. And guys, so what I want to talk about today is you know, at our boutique firm, Pain Capital Management, you know, we manage and advise over a billion dollars, is we really do focus on customized financial planning. And you know, it's an industry that has very cookie cuttered financial advice. So we tend to get a lot of questions and we, our expertise lies on the planning component to managing someone's wealth. And if you have a question for us, we actually have a new place that you can actually submit your questions and we'll answer them here right on the show. If you go to bebullish.com questions, or just go to bebullish.com, you can submit your questions, anything you want us to talk about here on this podcast. And I wanted to go over a couple of great questions that we got recently. And the first one is from John. He writes in, guys, do you recommend ETFs or exchange traded funds with an expense of 0.25% or even 0.39% I found some ETFs that I really like that I'd like to keep in this account instead of my Roth IRA because I'm maxed out at 6000 a year. What is the best tax-efficient
3: way to invest in this account? Good question. Yeah, I agree. I think having ETFs in a taxable account is a great thing because there's definitely more of a tax advantage to having an ETF. For example, ETFs don't have to distribute their gains while you hold them. So you know, just from a tax-efficiency standpoint, ETFs are the ideal thing to have in an after-tax account.
4: Yeah, and Chris, I totally agree. You bring up a really good point here where we've actually seen this in the past where there's years that maybe the stock market actually ended lower. But what happens is if you own things like mutual funds, at a certain point in the year, if markets were higher, they still distributed those capital gains. So you ended up with a year where markets are down, yet you're paying tax on gains in your account, which is crazy. And so that's why- ETFs can make a lot of sense because you can specifically decide when you are selling those things, so you're only taking gains in the year things are doing well. You can actually take losses in the years things are down, rather than you just being at the helm of whatever the manager decides to do. Well,
2: I think that's a really good point, Court. But um, you know, is it there other differences between exchange traded funds, what we call ETFs, and mutual funds, just beside tax efficiency,
0: low cost?
4: Exactly. Yeah, the client here is asking about the tax efficiency purposes, but that's a very good point, and one of the biggest reasons that we like ETFs as opposed to like a mutual fund is a lot of those mutual funds have a manager so you have somebody who's deciding maybe i want 10 percent of this fund to be an apple for example but maybe apple's only five percent of the index and if they get that wrong and apple underperforms it actually tends to underperform the markets what happens is these managers don't often pick and choose which stocks are the best on a consistent enough basis that your etfs actually tend to outperform and they're cheaper so that can actually make a lot of sense as opposed to some of your more expensive products out there
0: yeah. And it also goes a little further than that because there's so many tax inefficient vehicles that we find that you use in your brokerage or your taxable account, right? Like annuities, all the gains on those that you take out are at ordinary income rates with the highest rate you can possibly be paying taxes on, or they're using, maybe using high yield bonds or corporate bonds. that again, that you're paying the highest tax bracket on. The other thing is if you're in a high tax bracket right now, municipal bonds that are paying over 3% and they're, they're A-rated, that's like you getting, in some cases, 6% on your money on a... Uh, Pre-tax basis, so there's a lot of vehicles I find that get put into your regular brokerage or savings account that are just completely tax inefficient. And we know half the game here is saving on taxes. It's not what you make; it's what you take. Is one of those things we like to say at Paying Capital Management.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you what, though, you know, when it comes to ETFs, most of them are created equal. So it's crazy for someone to pay 39 basis points when you can get it for four. When we started using uh, exchange traded funds as opposed to mutual funds. You know, the costs have come down dramatically. And, you know, our hope is that they get to zero. And we're going to keep putting pressure on them because we think the client should pay zero. I hope you
3: guys all agree. And if I'll say it once, I'll say it again money saved in taxes and fees is just as green as money made in the market.
0: No, it really is. And Chris, you and I just did a webinar on this, but it is all about where you place your assets, especially when you're thinking about financial independence, eventually living off your money. It's not just about having the income plan or knowing how much income to take, but taking from the right accounts. With the most tax advantages and making sure that the right investments are in the right account, right? In a Roth IRA, you're not going to own a tax-free bond. It just doesn't make any sense. Okay, next question that comes in is from Brian. He writes in, My understanding is rising rates have a detrimental effect on big tech stocks. Well, we know it is right now, because they're getting hammered. If so, and the SP is so highly weighted with Fang stocks, what's another good total market ETF to invest in during a
3: period of rising rates? Well, you know, I think the biggest problem with the total market ETF is that, you know, just like any index are capitalization weighted. So, you know, the, the old saying, the cream rises to the top, you know, the darlings of the last 10 years was big tech. And because it did so well, you know, they've become more heavily weighted across these indices, like, like a total market type of uh, ETF, for example.
2: That's true. And I think that's a mistake a lot of investors make is they buy a total stock market index thinking, I'm getting small company stocks, big company stocks, large company stocks. You're not. You're getting the FANG stocks, right? And that's why the S&P 500 Index Fund and uh, Total Stock Market Index Funds trade like tech stocks. And we're in a new paradigm, guys, right? It's uh, the stocks that led in the last bull market are not going to be the leaders in the next bull market. So you need to truly diversify. And I think that's a mistake a lot of folks are making right now is that they're staying with the portfolio of the last 10 years.
4: Yeah, and I think some... Some of those headlines are very deceiving just because it says it's a total stock market fund to Bob's point. Oftentimes they do not constitute the total stock market. Yeah, oftentimes your big U.S. companies, small companies. Also, I've seen rarely do those of any sort of foreign exposure. And if we are in this rising interest rate environment, you do tend to have actually less technology and more of those like value dividend paying companies can be abroad and you want to make sure you have those as well. So just because it says total stock market doesn't actually mean it's the total stock market. You might need a couple of funds that constitute the whole market for you.
2: I think what I hear Courtney saying is if you have all your money in the S&P 500, you're in a growth fund, you don't have any value, you don't have any small cap, you don't have any international, you don't have anything that's working and is gonna be the big leaders the next year, I think it's time to take a good look at your portfolio.
0: Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 98, Pain Points of Wealth. Bob, Chris, and I literally have a collective 75 years. This is what we do every single day. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially, literally at any stage of your journey. But if you want a more hands-on approach and you saved over a million dollars for your financial independence plan, Bob, Chris, and I will run for you our total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review where we literally look at everything. There's no other firm out there that will do this work up front. We build you your own personalized financial portal. In fact, we're gonna do a deep dive of every investment you own. We're gonna go through and look at what kind of taxes, how tax inefficient or tax efficient is your portfolio, what hidden fees are in that portfolio. We're gonna show you how to reduce cost and give you our full tax playbook on how to optimize your portfolio. We're gonna look at income. You need an income plan for financial independence. How are you gonna draw from your portfolios when you finally stop working? How do you take Social Security? Well, there's lots of ways to take Social Security. Only one right way for you. We're going to put together a full income plan, show you how to draw from your portfolio, factoring inflation so you don't run out of money over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at diversification. What hidden risks do you have in your portfolio? Did you get hit hard this year as the market has been extremely volatile? Or have you sitting with way too much money in cash, earning nothing while inflation is extremely high? We're gonna to put together a full diversified strategy to show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. Simply go to www.paincm.com/financialplan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. Hey, it's the hidden facts of finance—random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Okay, Bob. Since 1926, the S&P 500 was positive 71 of those 96 years. In other words, On a probability basis, the market goes up 74% of the time. That's pretty good odds. Furthermore, in only six of those 96 years, the S&P was down more than 20% in any given year. Market doesn't go down that often.
2: Well, it sounds like it's going to be seven of the past 96 years, right? Because the S&P is now down 20%. But it's hard for anyone to hear the statistic and be optimistic right now because of recency bias. Right. Market's been down since January. So I guess it's just going to continue to go down, right? We project the future based on our most recent experience. January 4th, market made an all-time record high. Guess what everybody believed was going to happen in 2022? You know, more highs beget more highs. fact of the matter is we're having a correction. I love those odds. 74% of the time, the market goes up. Are you bullish, my friend? I would be.
0: Bob, you're like a shining light in a cloudy day. But yeah, I get it. It's just been such a long slog this year, right? With negative sentiment and the markets down, it does start to wear on you, but it's good to look at that big picture. There are fantastic odds. Chris, according to Bankrate.com, the national average yield on a savings account is a paltry 0.13%. Ouch. Many of the largest banks, Bank of America, Chase, HSBC, Wells Fargo, and Citibank, are offering even less. Of course
3: they are. Meanwhile, one year Treasury Bond now pays over 4%. Man, 0.13—that sounds uh, pretty awful to me. Where I can get 4% on a one-year Treasury, what are these banks doing? I mean, I guess it's a profit center for them.
2: Yeah, it certainly is.
0: Sounds to me like I'd like to own the bank stocks. You're getting a three, four percent dividend, and you're getting that spread. Time to buy bank stocks, here, gentlemen. That's what I think.
2: Well, you know what? I want to make a point. It's not beat up on the banks. It's also the wirehouses—Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs. You know, they're also paying a paltry 0.13 on their money markets where they could easily be paying two to 3%. They look at it as a profit center. It's profit to them. They own the stock. They're not interested in making money for you when they can make money for themselves.
0: Well, shame on you for not moving your money out of that money market. That's all I have to say. And the last one here, guys, Pink Floyd's. Bob loves Pink Floyd. All the pains love Pink Floyd. The Dark Side of the Moon hit number one on the Billboard album chart for exactly one week in 1973. It has since gone on to sell 45 million copies and has spent 960 weeks on the charts. Man, that's a phenomenal run. It wasn't even that popular when it actually came out, Bob.
2: Well, it's actually the reason I got a bad grade in macroeconomics that year, because in 1973, I was sitting in my dorm room listening to Dark Side of the Moon probably all day long.
0: Chris told me if you watch it with The Wizard of Oz, you'll find the meaning of life. I don't know if that's true.
2: (laughs) Hey, I don't know what the profit margin was for Pink Floyd, but I think it's probably a lot of money. And just between you guys, I don't want their money, but I would love to manage it.
0: Roger Waters, do you hear? Do you listen to this podcast? Hopefully, he does. Another great episode. If you love our podcast, like our podcast. Kind of like it. Give us a like. Give us a five star rating on iTunes. Give us a subscribe on YouTube. You can subscribe on Spotify. That's it for
1: this week. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to the Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Pain Capital Management at bebullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Pain Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.